Welcome to the Neo Jajuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week, we continue to discuss the life of Leo Hong Jae. We talk about his meditation, uh, what Bruce refers to as the water tradition of meditation. We talk about what how that differs from the fire tradition a little bit. Um, then we talk. We finish the f- chapter on the first swing. We talk about the central core energy, and then we begin the chapter on the second swing. Um, get into the beginnings of the how to turn from the weighted leg. We recorded this one live together uh, in my backyard, so the audio is a little bit fuzzy, uh, but we got to be in person, so that was cool. Um, also, the second half of our interview with Lee Birkins is finally out on the Patreon, so if you have heard the first half and want to hear the second half, that's available. Okay, uh, enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Nei Chun Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We're continuing our discussion of the seminal Qigong book, Opening the Energy Gates of Your Body by B.K. Francis, where we've been going chapter by chapter and exploring all the different uh, teachings and history contained within. Um, and we're continuing our discussion of the life of Liu Hongzhi, the, uh, the author's uh, teacher in Beijing, China in the 1980s. And so we've been digging through different sources to try and find more about Liu Hongzhi's life. He's a very mysterious figure. There's not much known about him. So we've dug through different articles and uh, little bits and pieces from different books trying to sort of explore his character a little bit more. Um, so we're going to pull some things from an article in from Chi magazine way back in the day, um, 1993, I think. Kumar Francis, an informal discussion on Taoist meditation, part one. So we begin with the author's experience. Uh, Kumar writes, during my earlier years in Taiwan and Hong Kong, I trained in Taoism for about seven and a half years. This is where I did much of the energy work and a majority of meditation work. I was fortunate to have been trained as a Taoist priest, Daosher, during these years. I don't talk about this very often, but I was a fully empowered Taoist priest. I did all the things that you do with these types of practices and some of the subsidiary things. I learned arts like exorcism, sending people off when they die, empowerment, charging spaces, providing helpful events for people and thing, uh, providing helpful events for people and things of that nature. This was my preparation for studying with my main teacher, Liu Hongjie in Beijing. This is where I learned the real tradition. His tradition is that of Lao Tzu. Um, so that sort of gives the background of uh, B.K. Francis talk, talking about his teacher and the meditation ex- work they did together. So this paragraph talking about his training in Taoism during his years in uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong sort of lay the groundwork for when he meets this uh, sort of grand master who takes him into the further depths, including all the way to the very original source, Lao Tzu, which is the most, sort of the most famous name in Taoism. Um, I think it's one of the things that sets this style and this, this set opening the energy gates apart from a lot of the martial arts I've learned over the years, where there's a real emphasis on this coming from the roots of a Taoist tradition in China. You know, that's, that's really a strong statement to make. And I think it's a pretty cool thing. It's, I, again, it's, it's what makes this perspective special. Yeah. I mean, Bruce always said it was a, you know, Taoist, it's in the title of the book, right? Taoist energy enhancement. So it really has, you know, it's roots in, you know, in Taoist practices. And, you know, he always emphasized that there were, there were Buddhist practices and there were you know, other types of practices, but that this one was a particularly uh, Taoist in nature. 
yeah, I've always liked that side of it because I was a religious studies major and I've always been interested in, you know, tr traditional esoteric practices, especially East Asia has some of the best. So when I saw Taoism was involved, I'm like, oh, I got to get check this out. And as I got into it, I it wasn't as mysterious as I thought. It's more about becoming aware of how your mind and body works as you train. You know, it's not quite as mystical as maybe I started out thinking. But that side of it, I don't know, it just appeals to me. It's like, it, I like that Taoist side of things, you know. I was always attracted to the combination, right? That it was both the, you know, meditation, mind stuff from Taoism and the body stuff all kind of wrapped in the one. So he goes on to talk about how Leo taught Taoist meditation. The Taoist meditation Leo taught me is primarily the classical method of Lao Tzu. The method that we seek does not really use fire. Instead, we end up finding the light inside of water. And that's, he often emphasizes how you're supposed to do everything in a relaxed, continuous, smooth way, following that example of water that's found in the Tao Te Ching so many times as this reference to, to water being sort of the symbol or the, the metaphor of how you go about your training. Yeah, I mean, he alludes to the light, right? So there's the... Uh, this idea in Taoist meditation of an inner light and inner sound. And so that's a big part of the training is trying to uh, find that and work with that. So in fire traditions, the main practice is the microcosmic orbit, uh, you know, moving energy up the back and down the front. Um, where in the water tradition that Bruce teaches, it's the dissolving practice and the doing the microcosmic orbit comes later. So the idea is that you start with this purely downward sort of letting go water element type of action. And then you do the other stuff on top of it. Um, as opposed to starting from a more, you know, as he puts it, fire element practice so he there's another paragraph that comes after that i found really interesting leo hung jay was very famous for being a martial artist but he also happened to be a patriarch of a northern sect of taoism he was a lineage holder he was quotes the man as the expression goes his job was not to teach he was responsible for duties in the lineage other than teaching in china he was what is called one of the three guardians of the empire which i haven't heard much about this but it sounds like master leo was he wasn't at that teacher level. He was some sort of really high on the administration level of this particular sect. Yeah, I mean, this is all hearsay because I, I don't even remember who I heard it from. But um, that the three guardians, but you know, that, that they each had this role in like, okay, your job is to meditate on this and and you know work on that element of huh. the doubt. So you know, I think it was something like that that Leo's had this particular role in this sect but yeah he yeah. never really specified what sect it was or... right and i mean to me that speaks to sort of the secret society th things that go on in chinese culture that you read about you know especially in the old days of clan organizations trade organizations spiritual organizations there's all types of different side groups in that in the way their society is constructed in the old days so that that sort of sounds like that to me that so here's another one we've come across before. He says, I was very lucky to have studied with him. This was not through any good auspices of my own, frankly speaking, but because he had a dream about me before I came. I happen to have been only one of two students that he taught in depth since the 1949 communist ascension. 
In fact, all that I know is that he dreamed about me coming, and that is the only reason he taught me. Um, there's that, that prophetic dream thing again that came up, which sounds like, you know, this guy sounds like a real mystic. I mean, yeah, we can't argue with a prophetic dream, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, so a few, one more thing he speaks of here during his experience with Leo. Almost a year before he died, he began to constantly encourage me to teach about Taoism when I returned to the West. At first, I felt uncomfortable with the prospect of teaching. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. But during that last year he was alive, he said, if you're willing, do it. If not, don't bother. It has only been since 1992 that I started teaching Taoism publicly at all. So that's, uh, you know, I, that's an interesting thing about, he did, Master Leo Hong Jae saw a vision of some of this Taoist stuff coming to the West and being useful in some way. Yeah, I remember when uh, uh, he first started teaching meditation as a separate subject in a sense i mean i think he'd done stuff in denver but that was more uh sort of by invitation only you know and, mm -hmm. and for a very small group when he started teaching larger you know like retreats on Taoist meditation official meditation retreats yeah yeah i mean that was i think the first time i did a Taoist meditation retreat was 94 or 95 somewhere in there and um it was very different than the what he does now for sure hmm. um so he says he started in 92 when when did you come on board i started in 92 but i didn't right. do i didn't do any Taoist, any of the quote-unquote meditation stuff for the first couple of years uh-huh i was more just doing the energy gates and yeah i stayed i always wanted to do martial arts at first i was like why does he keep teaching his qigong meditation classes so i would always just do the martial arts week but over time, we kept running across it, and he kept showing us different parts of it that I definitely found interesting. Yeah, he a, it's hard training. He taught a Taoist, a Tai Chi is Taoist meditation week-long thing in Amiel Ranch, and that was the first time I did meditation for more than, you know, a, a day. Yeah. Was that fun? Or was yeah, that it was cool. I mean, no, it was, um, it was way over my head at the time, so a lot of the stuff didn't really mean anything for a decade or so but uh <laughs> yeah it was it was great so this article goes deep into all kinds of different Taoist stuff um so we're just focusing on the bits and pieces that talk about leo hong jay and his approach to life uh but he does mention a few things that i wanted to bring out um my teacher, Leo Hung Jae, was a water method person. That's all I practice. That's all I do. Having done the fire method for many years, and in my younger years, having practiced both the tantric tradition and the kundalini tradition in India, I reached a point where personally the fire tradition no longer cut it. I was not particularly looking for the water tradition. It found me. There was no intent on my part. I was originally in Taiwan and Hong Kong, where it is very hard to find the water tradition. Most Taoists are just independent and prone to being who and where and being who and where you might least expect to find them. The water method of Taoism begins from a very simple premise. It is that a human being has a mind, that for whatever reason, you have a certain degree of control over your destiny. I didn't say all of it, but you have some things you can do. I like that quote because it speaks a little bit to how in his teachings, there's a sense that cosmic events sort of wash through the universe bouncing around and us human beings feel those waves too. And when those waves pass through the world you can sort of surf them in different ways so you can try to d resist the wave or you can try to burn through the wave you can try to ride the wave but life just keeps hitting you and you've 
you can't change your destiny a lot, but you can change how you respond to the things that happen to you, I think is how I interpret that. Yeah, it's, uh, you can take the concept of karma, right? That uh, in Taoism, you have a, a mind that gives you some influence on your karma, right? So you don't have total control over it by any means, but you can influence it a little bit. And before you get to the level of influencing it, you just have to learn to ride with it. You know, it's the old cliche of, you know, ride the wave. Um, or life is like a river, you know, all those sorts of things. And totally. There's obviously some truth to those statements because yeah. they've made it into almost every tradition out right. there, you know. Um, but but I think the emphasis on that as a physical practice is what makes this stuff sep- mm-hmm. like a little bit more. So you're embodying it, you're feeling it, you're experiencing that watery flow not just as an intellectual idea but through your physical body so even in the meditation tradition even though it's a not physical activity you're not moving your body is still engaged and and the sensations of your body is still a big part of what you're using to access these deeper levels so i think it it sort of spills over into the um, other aspects of the practice Moving on to the next section of the instructional portion of the book, we end the chapter of the, about the first swing with a discussion of the core energy. There is a line of energy that runs vertically directly through the center of the body. It goes from the center of the head right down through the perineum and continues through the center of the bone marrow of the arms and legs. This central vertical core of energy is the original energetic source of the formation of the human body from conception onward manifesting in the development of the spine, the arms, and the legs. And so he calls it the central vertical core of energy, which describes a sort of a, a straw or a tube of energy that's going down the center of your body, which is in, normally we call it the central channel, which is a shortening of this, this word, the central vertical core of energy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, I, I like that description because that's describing what it, actually feels like a little more than you know what a, what's a channel feel like um but it's uh you know this is one of those principles that's in all internal martial arts is where you have this core and you're once you're sort of linked into that core all your movement comes from there and there are a lot of different terms for it um you know in in tai chi it's usually the Jong Ding, um, right? Right. We talked about Bob's description of that. Yeah. Bruce tends to use the term uh, Jung Chi, right? So this central Chi, that which is what runs through the channel. Um, but essentially, it, it's just a connection to you know this thing that keeps run that's running through your body i mean this is well he says it's from where conception begins like your your formation this is the energy pattern that creates the limbs and the arms that grow away from the center right so there's the um the central channel then there's the ren and the do which is the ones sort of in front and back of the central channel and then there's the left and right channels and so uh the stuff that bruce does focuses primarily on 
beginning with the central channel. So, you know, it's, I think a lot of this stuff, it's not so much that they do different things. It's that, um, it's where you start and what the emphasis is. And eventually they all kind of reach the same place, but you you know, where you start on the merry-go-round is kind of, that changes. So it's, it reminds me, you know, all martial arts have the center line, which is where the other person's, you know, center up and down the vertical center of their body that you're sort of aiming to try and hit. That way, if you miss, you hit, you know, off to the side a little bit. His central energy core is more like inside, not the front of the skin of the body, but the very inside running down, even in front of the spine. So the actual physical central core of the body, say the way he describes it here makes me think of it's a thicker or thinner core depending on your ability to sort of feel it but it's all in it's it's a conceptual area inside your body there's energy just rushing through this area that's it's not a physical space yeah i mean the center line would be the fin- the physical space right i mean or the spine is the closest thing you can line up with it that's you know one solid piece um but yeah, essentially, it's a non-physical thing that runs through your body. And, you know, this is where, like, all of this stuff, it, in the beginning, it's you just have to say, okay, well, I, I accept this premise, you know, that this is how it works. And once you accept the premise, then there are these parameters, and you're working within these parameters because you accept the premise that chi exists and that it runs through channels inside your body. I mean, if you don't believe that, then talking about how it runs through those channels is kind of irrelevant. But, you know, this is a method of meditation that focuses primarily on working with the central channel as the initial practice. So it's almost like once you do the swings and the standing a little bit, you feel your hands, you feel your arms, then you feel your way towards the inner parts of your body, and then the sort of next level would be to feel the actual core itself independently. Yeah. Uh, the way Bruce put it was that, you know, you can't really get to the central core if you don't go, if you haven't gone through the outer stuff yet. Um, so the, the left and right stuff comes first. Then once that's opened up, you have access to the central channel. It's almost like you feel your way in. And then from there, that he, he describes it as, it's important that you move and turn equally from both the lower Dantian and the central core simultaneously, and that this creates the largest output of energy for all the systems of the body. So like you feel your way in, but from then on, you use the inside to influence the outside. I think you go in and then you come back out. So I'm, I'm sort of looking at it. Yeah, and it's, and it's different when you move from the central core versus when you move from the, like, for example, if you move from your hips which is the left and right channel, it looks different a little bit and it definitely feels different than when you turn from the, from the central, that center axis. And so, like I said, this is a huge thing in Tai Chi, um, also Bagua, also Xingyi, where you get that you're not turning from your outer sort of structure, but that it's, it's connected to this thing inside of you. So moving on to chapter eight, We'll begin look at the second swing. He begins by saying the second swing strengthens the liver and spleen. Um, so what, how do you interpret that? The liver and spleen are these visceral organs kind of on the sides of your mid body. 
Well, uh, you've uh, we talked a little bit about with that you know this the swings act as this internal massage mechanism, right? You're massaging your internal organs by twisting and the the, the gentle tapping and all of that stuff. So what the different swings do is the the, the first swing starts with the lower mm. internal organs, so your, your kidneys, your kidneys, your be- your stomach, um, your digestive stuff. And then as you move into the second swing now you get to the liver and the spleen um and then the third swing is the heart and the lungs and so uh i kind of think of it as you're squeezing the toothpaste tube up a little higher you know you get and as you just get access to a different chunk so it's like the level that your hands tap on your body is the level that it's affecting the most yeah, it's the we talked about the three burners, right? There's the lower, the middle, the upper. Each swing is is targeting a different burner, essentially. So the first swing targets the lower burner. The second swing is this middle one, which is everything sort of from you know your belly button to your sternum, basically. Mm. So he says here, the challenge is to shift your weight and turn the quad at the same time. He says the base of all corrected movement. In internal martial arts involves physically and energetically joining the leg and waist together as the body shifts weight. So that can be turning and twisting, it could be striking, whatever. Um, so so far you've worked with the turning the quad and you've sh- shifted the weight. Now you're really combining those two together as you as the foot footwork demands that now you lift your foot and turn. Yeah, and there's that third chunk which is turning from your core, right? So. The, the physical stuff with your hips and your legs is the, that's like the propeller. That's the thing that moves you. And then inside of that, you have this, the barber pole thing that turns a little bit. So the challenge with the second swing really for most people is, is that turning the hip in that direction is just, much harder than turning it in the other direction so keeping your weight on your foot and turning away from that leg uh just puts pressure on your knee in a way that most people uh have a lot of that's that's right what's next thing he says is you're trying to expand from and sink into the inguinal cut the quad while not twisting from the knee, which can, you know, cause damage to your body. So again, once again, the emphasis is on really keeping the knee stable and moving from the quad area. Yeah, and, and this one, uh, you know, this is where having a, a visceral sense of the leg you're standing on staying still as opposed to twisting inward and collapsing your knee or your pelvis when you turn in the other direction so that counter twist has to be in place to hold you your leg stable i mean in our class in the old days i'd lay on the ground and hold the person's knee pretty much in place so that they get this you know everyone over and over just to keep that sense of stabilizing the leg as you open the quad away from you it takes a, quite a bit of practice yeah it has to a lot of really small muscles in your hips have to stretch out in a way that uh is surprisingly difficult yeah you're right it's not so much the strength as the ability to be flexible and relax a little bit so you can open your leg it's not that your legs aren't strong enough it's that they're too bound up to really stretch open so this one works that you know over time the second swing will help with that yeah i would say that the first swing cloud hands and the first swing 
ideally have given you the strength to mm. stand on one leg and to turn in that in the direction of that leg this is going the next step which is turning the opposite direction mm. so it's it's much easier if you're uh like in a bow stance like in a forward tai chi stance or something to turn in the other direction because that leg is behind you but this thing of of keeping that leg sort of in front of you as you turn and open from your hip most people initially what they want to do is twist the the foot right so bruce has this thing of you know your knee your foot your belly button your nose all have to face the same direction um and your back knee faces you know straight ahead so the back knee doesn't move and everything else turns to 45 degrees or wherever you're gonna go so he starts the instructions for the second swing by doing your feet parallel shift weight 100 percent so you just return to that idea of just completely shifting all the way from one side all the way to the other. And he, again, just like you just said, the four points of the shoulders, nest, quad, and groin should all point the same direction, straight ahead. So that's to train the post leg by shifting onto it 100, shifting onto it 100. And I remember we would always, can you lift your empty leg slightly without losing your balance? That's the ultimate test. Right, because you, you can do cloud hands and you can do the first swing without actually shifting your weight a hundred percent because you don't have to pick up your unweighted foot but with the with the second swing you actually have to make that jump of actually being able to lift your foot off the ground and turn at the same time so right. it's these two components um you know so you i'm sure he breaks it down and you know you pick your foot up first and then you turn your body then you put your foot down then you pick your foot up then you turn your body back to the front and it's just this sort of grueling process of training that area inside your hip to do a, a movement that it's not used to doing. It's, it's not a quick process. And I remember over the years working on it, how the first movement of single palm change in Bagua, this is the exact same step. When you want to do P-Tren and Shingi, this is that same ability to stand on one leg and let the other leg be free. And it's a lot harder than it looks like at first. You know, you realize, wow, I'm really cheating a lot of the time while I lose my balance and sort of lurch into it rather than truly lifting my leg with 100% weight and stepping lightly with the other one is very profound. Yeah, like I said, the, 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 the thing is you can, if your leg muscles are strong enough, you can cheat and you can sort of just twist your leg muscles. Uh, problem with that is if you twist them too much, you damage your joints or worse. So uh, the thing of getting it where you don't use the big leg muscles to twist your body, but you actually just isolate that stuff in your hip and your leg muscles are relaxed is the, uh, the, the real challenge of the second swing and you know a lot of other things too. But like you said, it's, it's the same thing you do in, in Bagua. It's the same thing in Tai Chi, for example, if you're doing a, a movement where you're stepping uh, 90 degrees to the side. Yeah, say like cloud hands, uh, stepping in Tai Chi. You need to reach out with that leg. The transition from brush knee uh, into brush knee when you do that 90 degree turn, that that type of movement, if you can do that from opening your hip, one, it's a lot stronger, and two, it doesn't damage your joints. So the next instruction is, as the body turns, hip and foot pivot as one unit. That's what you were just saying. One leg's the post leg. The whole, all the other action takes place 
once one side's planted in place, the other, the hip, foot, body pivot as one unit. The only thing that's moving is the weighted, the, 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 the inguinal fold on the weighted side. Everything else is basically static. Um, now, there's things you have to do to keep those other parts static, right? There's all the little alignments and stuff. But basically, the only thing that you're really moving is that one hip. Everything else is staying uh, pretty much relative to the body staying still. And I remember watching the, his first video he put out about this where, man, he would swing way back each time with a huge step. And his body was just like this tidal wave, just this whipping loose energy that would instantly fling back the other direction. Just like you're throwing a Frisbee, but like the weight just continues to swing. Um, and as I trained, I, I started on a, a little smaller than that. You, this one, you don't want to go too far. Yeah, those old videos, he was turning to almost 90 degrees, which for you know the purposes of doing energy gates, you only need to go about 45 degrees max. That anything beyond 45 degrees is just uh, to loosen things up. But uh, again, this is where we go back to the 70% sure. rule. And that uh, if you can turn to 45 degrees comfortably, that means you stop at 30. If you can right. turn to 70 degrees comfortably, you stop. You can stop at 60. You know, and, and you just have to be careful about not going past your yeah. capacity. And And this is the... You know, in terms of risk factor, right? This is the mo movement that most people hurt their joints with. Not necessarily yeah. in something like this, but it's that act that where the one leg stays still, and as the body turns away from that leg, the joint takes the you know the the knee Force. joint twists, and it and it goes in the wrong way, and that right. you know, and and so the whole thing with this is learning how to make that sort of. Um, fanning motion or swinging motion with your unweighted side by using the weighted side and this one you got to go slow take your time i mean if, if you want to try whipping around once in a while go for it just to get the feel of it but for this one i found it i had to repeat it many times and feel frustrated many times before it really started to click and the one key thing that kept coming back make it smaller make it smaller just keep keep retreating until you really feel super confident and then into so you can do this without hurting yourself at all before you make it bigger then do that until you don't hurt yourself at all because i made the mistake of oh i can kind of do it now i'll do it bigger oh i can kind of do it i'll make it even bigger but i didn't really stabilize the smallest level first and it's like building lego blocks you really have i mean in the long run take the time to just do 10 of these on each side then later do 10 more on each side and just short reps but do it frequently It'll eventually come to you. Yeah, and, and the the way when you're practicing by yourself, the two things you have to watch for are your knee doesn't, the, the weighted knee doesn't collapse inward. But almost more importantly for other, for stabilizing your weight, it's that your weighted hip doesn't swing out to the side, sort mm -hmm. of like a, like a rocket or something where as you, as you turn to the left, your right hip doesn't swing and or move forward. And this is a crucial piece because if that hip moves forward as you're turning to the side, all the pressure goes forward in your knee on the, the bat, you know, on the patella, which is not where you want the pressure in the knee. So 
Um, that's one of those things where if you hold those two places still, and this is what you would do in a class, right? You'd have one person hold your hip and the other hold on the outside and then hold your knee on the inside. And then you would turn away from that leg. And most people, when you have somebody holding those two points, it's hard to turn 20 degrees, right. let alone 45 Movement's degrees. way limited. I mean, it, it took me years to be able to get with somebody holding it to actually go to 45. Now, didn't take me years to go to 45 without somebody holding it, but that's one of these things where, uh, you know, your, your own perception of feeling of it may not be accurate. So uh, having some, you can use a chair also. I mean, there are ways of doing it without another person, but... But, but the ideal is to just have somebody hold, like I said, hold your hip and hold your knee and try to swing, you know, that way and just see if, you know, you're successful or not. So the last thing I wanted to touch on here is something that's important. The, the unweighted foot physically lifts an inch or two off the ground when you begin your turn and the ball of your foot sets down on the ground at the end of your turning arc. Now, sometimes I remember sort of being sloppy with it and just sort of lifting and stomping with my foot or whatever. But over time, you helped me get to more where I, you, you deliberately place that ball of the foot on the ground. And then when you lift it back up, there's almost a little bit of a bounce as you lift up and then stand back to neutral. Then you turn and press that ball slightly into the ground. Even with zero weight, you make it a very deliberate touching of the ground. Yeah, it's a, it's the same kind of contact you make with your hand mm. against your body, right? It's, yeah. it's this sort of heavy, uh, but relaxed. But not forceful, but, yeah. but heavy. It's, it's like that feeling if you just drop your hand on your leg. If you drop your foot on the ground, it's sort of the same thing. It, it creates this bit of a spring back. So the idea is that when that leg hits the ground, it's, it's acting as a... Um, it absorbs the shock and then springs back so it, it you know it's acting like a like a shock absorber in a car where none of that pressure land you know comes back up into your joint it all just gets recycled and used to swing you back in the other direction all right good talking to you good talking to you bro nice to ha do it in person again no doubt all right uh, hey it's isaac again uh nothing big to announce just want to say happy new year to everybody and thanks again for listening supporting us and hope you're doing well and take care <laughs>